0: Bringing back for the last few weeks the second set of notes that I had handed out and have been going through over the previous few weeks but today we have a new set and the guys were handing those out. Everybody have? Set? Anybody need? Excellent. Thank you guys for doing that and we'll get to those notes here in a bit. Let me make some announcements. Tonight our community groups meet uh, if you're not in a community group, we encourage you to consider uh, being in one. And if you'd like to be in one, send the connection card, uh, CB text the keyword CBC Connect to the number 97,000, and you'll get a link that you can click on, and you can send us a message saying I'd like to know about community groups. But those of you that are in the community groups, they do meet tonight because we meet on the first and third Sundays of each month. So this is the third Sunday. So a reminder that those meet. Next Sunday afternoon at 2.30 is our next uh, business meeting, congregational meeting. We call those family meetings. All of you who are members of our church will receive a link uh, for that. And we have been for the last few years since COVID doing those by Zoom. It's worked out uh, well for us. So we'll be doing that again, 2.30 next Sunday. Next Sunday also concludes this series. so We have today and and next week in this series. And then what happens after that? Two weeks from today, we'll have our next installment of the Newcomers Orientation. And that is for those who are new to our church, who are taking a look at our church for a possible church home to join and serve, uh, we give that orientation for four Sunday mornings during the second hour. You get a notebook of material and it's designed to help you make an informed decision about whether or not to become a member of our, our church. So if you are not a member of CBC, you've been coming for a while, you've not taken the orientation, then I'd encourage you to do that. I would lead that, and as I say, that'll be in two weeks during this hour, and we'll be in a classroom right out the back door here across the hallway. At the same time that is going on, pastor, our pastor, Larry, leads our membership 101 class. And that is for people who have joined our church since the last membership 101. And it helps you get acclimated to pretty much every aspect of the church. He's got a fairly sizable group that are going to be in there because we've had a a number of folks who have joined since the last one. And if that's the case, you would have received a direct invitation for that one. So that one, unlike the orientation, 101 is not an open, uh, open enrollment Uh, that one is only for those who have joined and who received that invitation. The orientation, for anybody who would like to know more about CBC, both of those start in two weeks. So since I'll be leading the orientation, Pastor Larry will be doing membership 101. In here, for the first two of those four weeks, Brother Paul McKenzie is going to be teaching. And then the final two weeks, uh, Brother Billy uh, Billy Cochran is going to be teaching for us. So those guys will fill in for those Uh, four weeks. You have one more Sunday in March, and that is the very last day, March the 31st. So March has five Sundays. The 31st is also Easter, and we do not have our second hour on Easter. We have none of our Sunday school classes or any of that. So we'll just have our Easter worship service at 1030 that day. The following week, April the 7th, we will start a new series in here. We're going to send mailers out to the community, for the what's the difference series. What's the difference looks at some church history and out of that church history, how it is that various denominations developed and what the denominations believe, what the distinctions are between them. So thus the name, what's the difference? We have lots of people who ask that kind of question. Uh, People who are members of our church, people outside of churches wonder where did all these churches come from? Uh, What's the difference between them? And so uh, we've done it a few times over our 22 years, and we found it to to be helpful. So we're going to uh, invite the community, and we encourage you to attend. That'll start on April the 7th. All right, and here for the last six weeks, and now today and next week, we've been in our full-service church series. And this is about, uh, we've had 17 pages prior to what you received today. You see it starts on page 18. So if you've not been with us and you want to catch the previous sessions, those are online at our website, as well as the pages, the first 17 pages, the PDF for those are on our website as well. But it has been about how our church desires to enhance our discipleship process to include uh, aspects that currently we don't, and the truth is most of our churches do not in in our discipling approach. In particular, uh, what we're looking to add is a proactive element to discipleship. That discipleship is not just when people get into trouble or they have a problem, we then try to help them address it through counseling or something, but rather anticipating as people go through the phases of life, the kinds of challenges and opportunities that that they will have We want to try to prepare them for each of those. That's what we mean by proactive. And there's a lot then that spins out of that. And I want to try to cover some more of that today and next week. So top of page 18. This is about integrating then life and ministry so that we can come away with a mindset as disciples of the Lord that ministry is life. That no matter what it is the Lord has assigned for you, both inside the work of the church and outside the work of the church, that you see that as ministry. And you see that as ministry as unto unto the Lord. And we believe that that is part of the discipling process. And we also believe that it is something that is missing in the understanding of many Christians because we leaders have not taught it well. I'm convinced of that. We have not taught people how their work outside the church fits into what it is God's called us to do. And so as a result of that, you go do your your work, which you spend most of your life doing. (laughs) You spend a whole lot more time doing that than being here with me. And so it's really too bad that we don't have a robust understanding of how that fits in, because I spend so many hours doing it. Uh, There have been lots of attempts to do that, some of them better than others, and so today, I want to at least introduce that on the very last page of the notes that that we gave you today, and then I continue it into next week. So that's what we mean, though, that's what I mean by ministry is is life. We want our disciples, we want our people to come away with an understanding that a holistic understanding of what God has called us to do, whether it's service within the church and the ministry of the church, or your service outside of the church. So we call that full-service church. And I say at the top of page 18 that it's based on the following principles, that discipleship is to be intentional, that most discipleship is done by osmosis. If you ask most people, how were you discipled? They would say, what are you talking about? Uh, I wasn't, there was no intentionality to it. What happened is I came to the Lord, I came to Christ, I started hanging around other people who had come to the Lord and come to Christ. I started going to church. Uh, I started behaving similar to the way I saw other people who had been doing this for a while behaved. I started talking the way they talk. Gradually, I started picking up concepts and principles and learning things about the Bible. You do that long enough. You do that for uh, a lot of years. And by osmosis, then, you will be discipled. Uh, And that's the way most of us work disciple, just by osmosis, just by hanging around, just by being there. Listen, that's fantastic. I mean, that's, uh, thank God for the sanctifying influence of being around other Christian people who want to please the Lord and who talk about the Lord, and you pick things up that way and and you learn things that way. But for me, as a pastor, given the responsibility to lead a flock of people in What Jesus gave as his final command before he ascended back to the Father, make disciples. I'm departing. (laughs) You make disciples. Well, that's pretty heady, isn't it? And he's left that for us to do, make disciples. And so make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So for me, that requires then more than osmosis. It requires intentionality. See someone come to Christ and then have pathways for them to move forward in, in Christ. That's what we mean by intentional. Second principle is, is that, as I've alluded, it's to be both proactive and reactive. So the, a person, all of us, as we go through life, we are going to encounter phases and we are going to encounter crises. Phases and crises. Most of the time, the way we help people is, is in the, the second one, the crises. So you go along through life and you hit some kind of crisis, as all of us do living in a fallen world. Those crises may be of our own making because we, we have sinned or we've just done something foolish that now we have to, have to deal with. And so we come for help, as we should, to brothers and sisters, perhaps to church leadership. We come for, for counseling And that's reactive discipleship. We're reacting to what's happened, what's come upon you. That is always going to be needed because in a fallen world, you always have that kind of stuff going on. That is why we wanna do it well. And we are in the process of forming our church's counseling center. Counseling is all about reactive, okay? Reactive discipleship. What we wanna add is that proactive piece, anticipating not the crises, but the, the stages, the phases that the average person goes through in life, and preparing them for those phases before they get there, so that they are not surprised, so that they are not derailed, and that they can move through that phase and on to the next one. It's similar to what we do with premarital uh, counseling, um, but premarital, preparing for marriage, is about the only thing we do this for. And we are suggesting that there's lots of other phases and stages that people go through for which this would be very helpful and needed. Discipleship is to be lifelong. That is, we want to have this for all of those phases. Identify the phases and then have that preparation for all of the phases that are identified. And it's to be done by the church, church church-based. When, when Jesus said, before he ascended back to the Father, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, make disciples, then notice what happens next in the, the chronological outworking of the plan of God. What happens next is the establishment of the church. Jesus says, make disciples, and then, then God establishes the church a few weeks later, just a few weeks after that, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then as you read, you go forward in your Bible, chronologically, and you read what uh, the letters of the New Testament say, they are almost without exception written to churches or they're written to leaders of churches. So they're written to the church at Colossae or the church at Philippi or the church at Thessalonica or Corinth or at Rome or Ephesus. It's written to churches or they're written to leaders like Titus, the book of Titus, who's a pastor, Timothy, who is a pastor, you see that the New Testament is very church-centric then. That it's centered on the work of the church, and the church is the vehicle through which this discipleship, Jesus said, is supposed to happen, is to take place. So we as a church then, with all of that, I told you in previous weeks, you see the three things we want to offer at each of these stages, phases. Instruction that's targeted to the opportunities and challenges ahead in that phase. We gave an example of that for someone who has in the infant and toddler stage. And I gave some example of the kind of teaching we would wanna do on an important issue like authority and submission for a parent to their, to their young child. We wanted to offer that kind of targeted instruction at each phase. Secondly, we want to offer support from those that are currently in that particular phase and those who are already past it. So have groups who are going through it, but then also people who have gone through it. And those people who have gone through it will not all be people who did it right. In fact, for all of us who have gone through the various stages, we can look back and say, I should have done some things differently. But I can help you with the things that I should have been done differently by telling you those ahead of time. So rather than the old experience is the best teacher, which means you'll find out, just experience it. That's what we mean by that most of the time. Experience is indeed the best teacher if it's someone else's experience. If I can learn from somebody who already went through it, why should I make the same mistakes that they made if they're willing to tell me what those, what those are? So support from those in and past that particular phase, and then resources targeted toward each of the phases for ongoing development in the form of videos, blog posts, podcasts, counseling journal articles, books. And I gave a large sample of those on previous pages in the notes you received uh, targeted toward infants and toddlers, and we had about two and a half pages worth of resources for that, I think. So here, over the next few pages, I wanna offer the phases that we've, stages that we've identified. Now you notice that I've got a small asterisk there. Did you guys, did you guys hear how I pronounce that asterisk? I'm just saying that's the way you pronounce that. Because there's no such thing as an asterisk. All right, move ahead, I'm, I feel better. We're just... So I have that small asterisk there, and if you look down at the bottom of page 18, it says that I've solicited from CBC ministry coordinators who serve our infants, our retirees, and everyone in between to get their thoughts on the challenges that are faced at every stage of life. Some of those suggestions will be added to these lists. So if you're one of those coordinators in here, you gave me feedback, which a number of people did, uh, I had already prepared my stuff. We've been preparing that for a number of years. But we got some very good feedback. And you don't see your stuff in here. Don't be mad at me because I just haven't added it in yet. Okay, But I, but I have it. So here are the, the phases. Obviously, it starts at, at birth, first year. And what are the kinds of issues that a parent is going to face when they have a new, a new child ahead of time? I mean, there's a myriad of them, but here are some of them. Fear. The parent is fearful. Hey, can I do this? <laughs> am I going to be any good at this? How badly am I going to mess this up? This, God has put this child in my hands, and I've got to get, get it right. And so there's understandably some apprehension and, and some fear, especially if you have not had good role models for that. But every parent, good role models or no, uh, it is a heady thing to have, uh, be entrusted with a child. Support from parents. Do we have support from parents or not? And for those who do not have support from family members, uh, perhaps you live here and they, everybody else lives elsewhere. Uh, or perhaps you're estranged from the rest of your family for whatever reason. But support is enormous for young parents uh, with their, their first child. And many people, unfortunately, don't, don't have it. Nurturing, meaning, uh, it, it, this is, is more the, the personality of the parent, uh, and whether or not the parent is a nurturer. Not everybody is. We, we generally, generally speaking, not being sexist, we generally identify the nurturing gender as, as the females. That's generally true. But not all women are, are as nurturing by nature that's just not their personality so therefore there's going to be a struggle that that goes with that that uh, you know those that are naturally nurturing my wife is naturally nurturing and so that helped her with our girls it helps her with our grandkids because it just comes naturally for her but if it doesn't come naturally for you that's something that you'll want uh, help with finances for for child care are we going to be able to have you know one of the parents uh, stay stay at home? If not, we're gonna are we gonna have to pay someone to do this? And that can be a burden. And you need to know what the options are and the pros and cons for that. The marriage dynamic, uh, how is that going to affect us now that we have a child? We were able to get by not fixing some things in our relationship perhaps, before we had a child, now we have a child, and those cracks that we had in the relationship can now become wider as a result of having this, uh, having this, a new person in our family. Social life, am I going to have one? <laughs> you know, now that, I, now that I have a child. Uh, the personality of the baby, what's that, what's that going to be like? So there are different personalities of babies, some babies are, are very easy. And uh, those of us that had hard babies hate the people that have easy babies. Uh, we, we don't want to hear. If you have an easy baby, none of us want to hear about your easy baby, okay? Uh, difficult babies are extremely, extremely trying. And parents, and particularly moms who go through that, need support, need, need help with, with that. And the more, the better. So there's the personality of the baby, and before the baby comes, being able to anticipate that. You might have this kind of baby, you might have that kind of baby, and here are some ways to address that. How am I going to manage the home? Because it's going, you're going to have these responsibilities for this little one that is completely dependent on you, and so you're not uh, probably going to be able to do the kind of chores and housekeeping and all of that that you were accustomed to before the baby came along. That can be very frustrating for both of the, the parents, so be aware of it. Identity crisis image, you know. So who, who am I now? Now that we have this baby and everything and our time and focus is on this baby, what independent identity do I have as an as a adult parent here? And that can get lost com- completely. So we can prepare for that. Are there going to be some things like postpartum? Just uh, extreme fatigue, depression that, that goes with that. None of those are uh, uncommon. Loss of freedom that you had before you had a baby. <laughs> I mean, before you had a baby, you could hop in the car and just do stuff. There is no such thing as hopping in the car with a baby. Just no such thing. Because you've got this, you've got this uh, rocket cockpit In the back of your car that you deposit the baby in every time you go somewhere now i say rocket cockpit because it's surrounded you know with protection you have to buckle it in from about eight different places i mean last night laney and kit were at our house and i always go out to the car with them i carry kit out to the car and she says fly kit says fly and so she's the flying baby, and I fly her into the car, and I put her into the seat, okay? And, and, and I don't know how to buckle the stuff. There's just too much stuff to buckle. And so Lainey comes behind me, and then she's buckling, and she's buckling for like 10 minutes, okay? It's freezing out here, and she's buckling. She's got all this stuff to buckle. And here's the other kicker. My daughter, Lainey, and my son-in-law, Clay, and their daughter, Kit, just moved one block away from us. She's driving one block, but she's got to get this cockpit ready, okay? I mean, you never know what's going to happen around Dover Street and going around the corner. So, uh, and that's all, that's all good, but the point is you have to do that every time you get in the car. And then if you have two or three and you're doing the buckle, right? So freedom is gone. The idea that I can just jump in the car and go places, I can't do, I can't do that anymore. So you've got to be prepared for for that now as i go through the rest of these i won't go through every item on every one of these because there are you will see some overlap for example we are going to see look at under toddler there the third bullet where it says compare and contrast with other children and parents so this is also something that goes with that phase now my child's personality is starting to come out and other people who have children around the same age in church, you know, my peer group, my social group, and there's comparing and contrasting going on, you know, and is, is my child at the same level their child is? Is my child speaking at the same, able to talk at the same time their child is? You're, you're starting to do that. Uh, you can be, become worried about your own child. Uh, you can become resentful of other people whose child might be, you know, ahead. There's just all kinds of those things going on. And as the child approaches three in this toddler stage, which goes up through three, now they're becoming self-aware also. And they are comparing and contrasting themselves to other little three-year-olds too. So it's something that you're going to have to face, the comparing and contrasting between the parents, also the children. Another word for that is Just peer pressure, peer interaction, and you will see that show up under several of these phases because that is sort of a constant through through the the phases. So some of these will will overlap. You see the toddler phase there? Because we talked about authority and submission and all of that, we've already covered much of that. Kindergarten, the four through six-year-olds, there's separation because now I'm going to be going to a half day of kindergarten or most. Are there even any half-day kindergartens anymore? Uh, There used to be, but now it's all full-day kindergarten. So so my child, who may have been with me for, say, the first four years of their life, is now going to be gone for six to seven hours a a day in school. And that is what I mean by the separation, preparing for that on the part of the parent uh, and, as best we can, on the part of the child as well. Peer interaction and relational issues, child gets into kindergarten, their personality has long shown up for a few years now, and now they're in with other kids, and the dynamic of them relating to those kids start to show up, and difficult relational issues can surface. My dear wife, those of you who know my wife know that she is just very sweet. She is. She is very sweet. She's fantastic. Kim is fantastic. She's not in here. You guys tell her I said that, okay? She's fantastic. She is. She's just absolutely fantastic. But it it hasn't always been that way. So, don't tell her I said this part. Because when she was a kindergartner, see, one of Kim's struggles is being bossy. And when she was in kindergarten, she was a boss. She is the second of six children. And her mom had these children just in rapid succession. Kim was born 10 months after her older sister. And her mom had, so she had younger siblings already, infant, toddler siblings below her. She has that nurturing kind of, but she developed this boss thing too. So her mother tells the story of Kim being in kindergarten and they would take naps in kindergarten. They, would have, they all had mats that they laid out and they would take naps. And Kim is going around the room telling kids where to put their mat. And if kids didn't want to put their mat there, she insisted that they put the mat where she told them to put it. It got bad enough that the kindergarten teacher had to call my mother-in-law to calm her boss daughter down in kindergarten. Okay. So really, stuff like that will show up, relational issues with the personality of your, your child. As they're older now, they're spiritually more aware. Parent groups form, that can be good in that you've got parents who are hanging out to support one another, but maybe you're being left out or you don't have the kind of support that you that you need. If they're going to go, be going into kindergarten, you gotta think about where that's gonna be. Where is school going to be? Are we, do we wanna homeschool if we can? Uh, and, Is is the public school in our area something we're comfortable with? Can we afford to send them to a private school? You got to figure out the schooling options and then the schedule all kinds of extracurriculars uh, begin even at that at that age. Grade school first through fifth grade notice more comparisons and peer pressure going on but now you know learning disabilities can come to the fore and there can be real uh, challenges with that because they're having difficulty making, making the grade. Societal exposure, uh, friends, culture, social media. Uh, how are you as parents going to, what are you going to allow them to do? How much exposure are you going to allow? And then there's the third bullet says schedules and then the last bullet says parents living vicariously through their children. Those are related. So can, what can happen in those early years, grade school years, is you have a parent who wants their child to experience what they experienced as a child. And so they kind of force, though can, force what were good experiences for them on their child. So if you were somebody who played sports, if you were somebody who danced, uh, you, were, you were in ballet, whatever, you swam, you enjoyed all of that, now you're imposing that on your, on your child, but your child's personality may not be any, any of those. And it's very easy to live vicariously through your, your child, create a bunch of activities for them to do along those lines, and now your schedule becomes a challenge. And now you're trying to ju- juggle an, an increasingly busy schedule. The choices made here set precedent then for later stages, like middle school. We already mentioned social media above, but under middle school, first thing there, you see technology and and social media. So the earlier that you're aware of the dangers and advantages of social media, there are advantages. You know, there are advantages to your child having a cell phone. If nothing else, if there's an emergency, they can can call you. If they need to get a hold of you, they've got a way to do that. So there is an advantage to that. There's a ton of disadvantages to it as I've talked about in previous weeks. We need to be aware of that and you need to decide what you're going to do with that. And you know, certainly by middle school, you know, girls and boys are being attracted to each other or there might be dealing with same sex attraction. And so knowing how you're going to deal with those ahead of time, what your policy is going to be about dating, that peer pressure is intensified, because of uh, puberty and the onset of that, now body image becomes a really, a really big deal. You know, how well or do I ap- appeal to, to others? They need now to, be, to begin systematizing truth. Uh, at, up to this point, if they've been raised in a Christian home, they've gone to church, they've gone to Sunday school, they've gotten lots of stories about the Bible they, if they've been since an infant in school, in Sunday school, and in a Christian home, then they know a lot about the Bible. But now you want to systematize that. You want to see it put under theological headings, and so they can see how it fits together for their life and what they're beginning to encounter in increasing fashion in life. Choosing my religion, by that I just mean they now have to make the faith their own. You know, if they haven't already in elementary school, they're going to need to do that because they've been, and still in middle school and high school, they go to church because you do. And you want to make sure that they are personalizing this, and it's not just because you do it. High school years, ninth through 12th, you see some of the same things there, but the academic pressure can begin to increase. Thinking about getting into college and where that might be and how, am I going to pay, how are we going to pay for it, just making decisions about career and, and college. Your social station is, is somewhat fixed, your personal identity. Because by the time you get to high school, you kind of are what you are. And, that's, and that has become evident. That I am an extrovert or I'm an introvert. I'm somebody that people just are gravitate to or not somebody that people gravitate to and that is becoming more, more fixed, and depending on how a child handles that, then it can have ill consequences for them. They're leaving childhood, and they're starting to become a, a young adult now, get, getting further involved in sports and extracurriculars, maybe a job at age 16 or, or 17. You see the need for worldview and apologetics, that follows off of the need to systematize truth in the middle school years because they are increasingly being exposed to other ideas. And so they need to know what they believe, what the Bible teaches to counter false teachings that they they are exposed to. Again, the opposite sex, same-sex attraction, dating, all of those are still issues. College and career, And in college and career, we've divided it from the parent uh, and the the young adult. Each of them have their own now because you've got two sets of adults trying to deal with their own sets of things. This college and career child may be living in your house. You may be financing, if they're going to college, you may be financing that. So both of you are a team, you've partnered to try to help them take the the next steps. So both of you have challenges. So for the young adult, you see some of the ones that we have there and then for the, the parent. Preparing for marriage. You know, premarital counseling goes through typically these kinds of, of things. Bottom of page 20 for singles. So if someone is, uh, is single and they're in adulthood, then these are some of the issues that we want to help with. Top of page 21, the middle years of parenting and marriage. You're near your 30s and 40s. So There's just stuff that goes with that. You know, it is just getting really hairy, man. The kids have all kinds of stuff going on. And, we both, and we're both working, let's say, outside the home. And we're just trying to juggle the ball. So that puts stress on the, on the marriage. It means I can't be involved in, in church ministry as much due to all of this going on. I feel guilty uh, about that, perhaps. Uh, I'm having a struggle integrating, raising my kids with, with ministry. I'm having a struggle saying no. I'm overcommitted. All my friends are involved in all of these things. We're signing our kids up for all of, these, all of these things. The competition continues all of that. Midlife from 40 to 60. You see, by the time you get to be 40, 45, here's the deal. The reason they call it midlife crisis is because when you get about there, you realize, okay, that stuff I said was going to happen when I was 20, it ain't going to happen, is it? You start to get hit with that realization. Most of us had things in our mind, some spoken, many unspoken, but we just had this vision about where we would be when we were 40 or 45. And for most people, they're not there. Life in a fallen world does not go according to plan most of the time for most people. And it can be very depressing. It's a real thing, midlife, midlife crisis. You might start to have failing health now. You can't do the same things that you, you used to do. you got to prepare for retirement. Your kids are growing up. Perhaps they're, they are gone by the time you get in your 50s, so you've got empty nest. And now you got to remember, you see relationship with spouse. Do I like this person? Because your existence has been tied up with all the stuff going on with the kids, and now the, the kids are gone. And it's us. And we now have to kind of redate again and refamiliarize that. That goes on with lots of people. So do we like each other? Have you have you noticed that people sometimes split after the kids split? But that's that's what that's why. They haven't been cultivating their marriage relationship while they're raising the kids. So when I teach parenting, I have a lesson in parenting. The title is Marriage is permanent, parenting is temporary. And the reason is I'm simply saying that you're still going to be married after the kids are gone. So you need to prepare for that. You've, you're trying to you know, help your kids get out the door. Meanwhile, your parents are getting older and you're trying to, to help them as well. And then when you are the parents that need the help, you're in the senior 60 plus and you see all the things that, that go with that. All right. Those are the categories that we have. We've been, I've, I've been given uh, another one like preparation for for dying, but I don't know how we invite people to that class. <laughs> so I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> but I get, the, I get the idea, okay? Bottom of page 21, uh, being and doing, redeemed to reign. And this is where I get to what I started out with. How does what I do for a living how does my work fit into ministry? In what way does it matter? How should I view it? And I am saying that you've got two categories that help us get our minds around that, that I want to explore in our remaining minutes today and then next week. And those are the difference between being and doing and the difference between redemption and reigning, ruling for Christ, for God. The being and the redeeming are related, and the doing and the reigning are related. So I say here, as has been shown, the Bible is clear that the church's disciple-making task requires that people are born again and then that they mature as measured by conformity to the image of Christ. How do I know if I'm maturing? <clears throat> because I'm becoming more like the character of Christ. So Jesus said, go and make disciples. Bottom of, very bottom of page 21, those God foreknew, he predestined to this, to be conformed to the image of his son. And then top of page 22, our churches. theme verse, Colossians 1.28 He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. Full maturity looks like the character of of Jesus. So that's that's what we want. People are born again so that they can be remade into the image of, of Christ. The image now lost and in need of restoration was originally announced and explained in the opening chapters of scripture. Genesis one says, God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And the uniqueness of his image bearers is underscored because chapter two of Genesis is devoted to elaborating on day six, entirely on day six, which was all about the creation of humanity describes the creation of Adam, the work he was assigned to do, the warning and opportunity that God placed before him, the woman God made to aid him in his work, and the joy and intimacy that the two of them had for and with one another. And then God pronounced all of that good and he applied the description very good only after these human image bearers were created. We learn something of what the, in Latin, imago dei, image of God means, from the particular words that are used for it in Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That word image refers to representation. The God who is spirit creates a representative in physical form. One scholar said, just as an ancient king would place an image of himself in an area of his realm to show his sovereignty, God makes man in his image to represent him in his newly created world. And so image has kingship implications. Yet in this case, these representations are living, breathing human beings. They're not lifeless statues. While God's the king, he created man as a king, a vice-regent and mediator over the creation. The term likeness indicates man is in relationship with God. He's a son of God. Because man is a son of God, he's able to represent him. And so sonship is closely connected to rulership. So with all that, we were made as humanity to rule for God, okay? But we all know it went downhill later, and how do we recapture that? So that assignment that humanity received in Adam was to serve as God's vice regents on earth. He's told, be fruitful and increase in, in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is what theologians call, you see that there, the dominion mandate. A mandate, a command by God to have dominion over the creation. And humanity was made to do that. So this dominion mandate was given by the king of creation to all humanity. So it was not just of Adam and Eve alone, but rather they are to be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and so it's taken up by their posterity. The word for rule in Genesis 128 is the same one used in Psalm 110 of the future reign of the Messiah, that the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying rule in the midst of your enemies. And the word for subdue speaks of the work of a king. And so that same scholar, Michael Vloch, summarizes well the connection between the image and dominion. This relationship between the image of God and ruling over the creation is so close, some have concluded that the image of God is the function of ruling, but the function of ruling is probably a consequence of our having been made in God's image. The main point is this, that man is God's image bearer, created to rule the earth on God's behalf. All right, so top of page 23. That's the background. You guys know most of that background, but I just want to emphasize the idea of ruling, dominion, reigning... God gave us that to do. That's the way it was supposed to go. So we are, top of page 23, made in God's image to rule on His behalf. And we're restored to His image to do the same. Redemption is for relationship with God. But it's also for ruling and reigning. In what the Bible calls the future restoration of all things, we will image God perfectly, and so we will be able to, as the Bible also says, reign with Him. And all of that raises a profound question that I'll set up here, and then we'll deal with next week. A profound question regarding present Christian discipleship. In what way do Christians rule for God now? The dominion mandate is still applicable. But given the subsequent fall and the intrusion of sin, in what way does it show up? Is all work that is done ethically and in at least some way for the glory of God, is it all equal? Is a Christian chief executive officer's speech to shareholders just as important as a gospel sermon? Is pastoral or missionary work more important than other work? Since most are neither pastors nor missionaries, can our work nevertheless be seen as sacred? And the answers to those can only be found in a clear understanding of how the redeemed rule now. And in the words of my new friend Jonathan Lehman, who we had a few weeks ago here speaking on politics, uh, that understanding includes these things that I'd like to expand on the next week, okay? But think about those questions. You know, how does the, does, does the work of a pastor or missionary, is that better than the work of an accountant? And if it is, how so? If it's not, then in what ways are they the same? In what ways are they equal? And these have been questions that have plagued Christians for a lot of years, and that's the reason many people go through their work life and they don't see the connection between what it is they're doing for most of the hours of their week and what it is God has called us to do as his people uh, during this time before he he returns. So I want to get into that uh, some more next week, so bring that at least that last page back with you next week if you remember it. If not, we'll have some more copies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege of being with your people in your presence, worship you, learn of you. Thank you for this hour for us to think about how you have designed life and the phases of life as we, as we grow from infancy into, into our elder and senior years and all of the things that are normally experienced in between, and how, Lord, we want to please you at each of those stages. So, Lord, grant us wisdom as we contemplate how best to to do that, how best to structure that. May our church be a place where people are prepared for all that you have called us to do, because we do indeed desire to please you at every stage of life. Go with us this week. As we go to the places you've assigned to us, may we represent you as your ambassadors. Well, bring us back together next Lord's Day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.